0: All right, Mark. Hello. I'm going to send you some pictures. I fucking
1: love it when you do this.
0: So you should have received those pictures right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want you to describe what you see in those photos.
1: So I'm looking at these photographs right now, Corrigan, and I'm seeing a scene, two scenes, in fact, of chaos, chaos and mayhem. So we are uh, monochrome pictures, black and white pictures, some very oldie-timey automobiles, so mm-hmm. I'm going to take a very wild stab in the dark here and say that maybe we're in the 1920s, 1930s. Ooh,
0: very close, very close. Early, uh, like, 1910s. Okay. But yeah, okay. right on the cusp.
1: But, yeah, black and white photographs of devastation of uh, what looks to be, you know, a, a, a kind of a town, and urban area, or maybe even a station, and it has been levelled to the ground. Collapsed buildings, rubble, debris young men picking through this debris maybe looking for survivors or looking for what could have possibly caused this destruction uh yep people in uh, smartly dressed people i see in the second photograph you know long coats and hats this this would appear to be an area of some money some affluence um but what i'm seeing is fucking old timey chaos and mayhem and disaster
0: Absolutely. Perfect descriptions. I knew mm. you'd come through uh, mm. on describing what's happening here. And if you had to hazard to guess, what would you say happened in to this me, neighborhood?
1: there has been a uh, an earthquake or hurricane or a typhoon or some kind of natural weather event which has leveled the fuck out of this area.
0: Okay, well, Mark, mm. it is not... A natural event God damn. that All right. leveled this area. My
1: second guess was Mothra.
0: <laughs> Closer, <Okay. laughs> to, to be fair. Uh, these photos are from Boston, Massachusetts in 1919. Okay. And the destructive force that led to these sites was a massive wave of molasses unleashed oh on my the city's God. north end.
1: I, that was my next guess. Bun. That was literally my next guess. <laughs>
0: This wave killed 21 and injured 150 people. Holy shit. So all that devastation you're seeing in those photos that look like the outcome of the worst kinds of natural disasters, Mm. molasses did it.
1: Fucking hell. You can't spell molasses without spelling ass.
0: It's a a really good point.
1: You know, think on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'll just uh, marinate on that while I uh, tell you this story. So Boston Harbor was an incredibly important commercial site in the early 20th century and Mm. had been pretty much since this country and Boston was founded, which Mm. is why so much of the American Revolution is centered there. You know, important events like the Boston Tea Party and things like that. So trade between America and Europe used Boston as a hub, and thus the area was very densely packed with both businesses and residences. And the North End in particular was home predominantly to Italian immigrants. Uh-huh. And actually, while it's pretty heavily commercialized and touristy at this point, to this day, it's still considered the sort of vibrant Italian-American center of that city. So at that point in time, though, we're talking immediately post-World War I, and the distrust of all marginally darker Catholic immigrants in the U.S., mm. paired with anxiety about Italian anarchist sabotage, meant that Italians weren't treated with a whole lot of respect and were instead met with a great deal of hostility and suspicion in America.
1: Uh, Back up. Italian. Sure. Anarcho. Uh,
0: Just anarchists. Italian anarchists. Italian anarchists were a fear. And one that was indeed somewhat founded, actually, in that uh, during the war there had been sort of Italian anarchists who had come through and and targeted uh, or sort of, spied on various um, areas around Boston Harbor uh, as a spot for potential sabotage. Huh. Yeah. So it wasn't completely unfounded, but also... That felt
1: felt arbitrary. All those Italians uh, with their anarchy. Yeah,
0: no, it was was absolutely in some ways connected to the events that were going on, but also is very much connected to the impending Red Scare Mm. uh, and general fears of communism and anarchy and every other form of uh government or lack thereof that Uh americans were terrified of at that point any form of system that they were afraid these outside invaders were going to bring in yeah um so overblown fear absolutely at this point uh and by the way People being mean to Italians is how we got stuck worshipping Christopher Columbus over Mm. here for the past century and a half. So, you know, be careful who you bully or they might make a folk hero out of a genocidal maniac, I guess. But anyways, at this point, uh, Italians are being treated pretty shitty uh, in America and that'll come back around again. But anyway, we find ourselves in the North End, this Italian section of Boston, on January 15th, 1919, in the shadow of a tank holding some 2.3 million gallons of molasses.
1: Can I just make sure that I know what molasses is? Uh, Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I do, but just in case, it's like a very syrupy, thick kind of treacle kind of substance, isn't it?
0: Yes, that's exactly what it is. Is that not like a common No, it is completely,
1: completely. I I just wanted to be sure that it is what I thought it was.
0: Okay, yes, (laughs) that's exactly what it is, and it is important to know that. (laughs) Um, And the molasses came in on ships from the Caribbean, uh, and it would be transported to a distillery nearby to be used in the making of rum. Rum, yes. Yes, yeah, one of the big uses Mm -hmm. of molasses. This tank, however, was absolutely built for a good time and not a long time, Mm. and it started showing weaknesses pretty much from the moment they started heaping the molasses into it. People nearby would report that the tank would, quote, shudder and groan when filled. There were visible leaks from its sides from which local children would uh, bring pails to fill up and take home. These were obvious hazards, but being the 1910s, when the owners of the tank at U.S. Industrial Alcohol were alerted to these issues by their workers, mm. they decided it would be too costly to fix it. Yeah. So... Ah. And... I'm not bullshitting you here when I say this. They painted the tank brown so the leaks wouldn't stand out as much. Instead of fixing... Big brain. Big brain tank. Yeah, right. That's some galaxy brain <laughs> shit right there. One worker brought actual shards of steel that had broken off the tank into the treasurer's office to show the danger. And the treasurer responded, I don't know what you want me to do. The tank still stands.
1: Yeah. What do you want from me, Yeah.
0: It <laughs> hasn't fallen over yet. Get so the fuck out of here. Fine. Yeah. yeah. So, engineer Ronald Mayville has studied the flood and surmises that the tank was probably built with the spec- specifications you would use to hold water. I see. But molasses is a whole lot heavier viscous. than water. is. A heavy, viscous
1: yeah. fluid.
0: Exactly. Further, the rivet design on the tank was flawed, which elevated the danger. Even more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And neither of these mistakes were based on ignorance. They knew better. They knew how to build a tank better than Mm -hmm. this at the time. They had the engineering skill. So this isn't simply a matter of like, oh, people back then didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. They could have made a better tank.
1: Which is in many, uh, all kind of large scale loss of life and disaster like this are terrible, absolutely terrible. But, and you see this time and time again, even in modern Uh, modern tellings, modern events, modern disasters, people who fucking knew that what they were doing was going to end in in, in tragedy and just uh, either crossing their fingers or weighing up the fucking, the bean counters, you know, weighing up the columns. The cost will Mm -hmm. be outweighed by the, by the, you know,
0: That's exactly Mm -hmm. it. That's 100% what happened here, that they wagered that the cost to fix it would be much worse than the cost to mitigate whatever disaster happened afterwards. And I'm sure they had no idea this was the kind of disaster that would happen. The tank had been built quickly in the winter of 1915 to meet rising demand for industrial alcohol, which could be distilled from molasses Mm. and sold to weapons companies who used it to make dynamite and other explosives for use during World War I. So this was supposed to be like kind of a temporary thing, right? They're like, okay, we need a place to store this before we
1: use this. Molasses was also a component or at least unrefined component of explosives. Wow.
0: Yeah. (laughs) right? Who knew? I had no idea before reading up on this. Yeah. And so that was what this tank was built for. Basically just sort of put the molasses in it, then we can use it, extract what we need to make the Mm. weapons, and that's it. Mm. Uh, It was not meant to be used long term Mm. as a storage solution, which after the war ended, they continued its use. So around lunchtime on that day in January, the tank finally gave out and that 2 million gallons of molasses was released oh. in a wave 15 feet high oh my and 160 God. feet wide, Woo. traveling at a speed of 35 miles per hour.
1: A tsunami of molasses.
0: So not that in, in fact, that term will be used yep. as I explain this further. Yeah. So as any wave of that size would be, especially in the middle of a city where there should not be a wave of any kind. Yeah,
1: sure. Cities aren't (laughs) built with molasses tsunamis in mind.
0: Yeah. Or any kind of tsunami, you know, like, yes, they were on the water, but it's not like the ocean. (laughs) It's, you know, it wasn't, you don't get waves in the middle of Boston like that. So certainly not built for that kind of damage, especially made of molasses. Mm. So it was massively destructive outright. It lifted houses off their foundations and slammed them against other buildings. My God. Buildings collapsed, as did the elevated rail that brought trains through town. It swept up people, horses, and cars. I'm looking and again that was... at the
1: pictures. And yeah,
0: right? It and cannot you'd...
1: be overstated just how big a number this fucking...
0: Yeah. Wow. Uh, wow. It really, I mean, if you compare that to photos from, like, the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco yeah, or things sure, like sure, that, sure, like, sure. you're looking at the same kinds yeah. of destruction here. Um, but that was the first part of the destruction. So fluid dynamics expert Dr. Nicole Sharp explains that there were basically two stages of this deadly molasses flood. The first she calls the tsunami. So she explains that molasses is 1.5 times heavier than water. It's very tense. Mm. Dense, I mean. Mm. The tank piled so high with molasses stored a large amount of potential energy. So when the tank ruptured, all that potential energy became kinetic energy. Yep. So the fact that molasses is extremely viscous doesn't matter for the first 60 to 90 seconds. The inertia is so much more powerful than the forces that can be moved by the viscosity. In other words... Generally, molasses is super slow moving. That's why there's that phrase "slow as molasses." Are we right?
1: saying it picks up speed? Are we saying it picks up pace when it gets moving?
0: No, the opposite of okay, that. Okay. Because okay. there was so much built up energy in there, that potential energy, yeah. it immediately came out oh, in see. a rush. Right, when right, that right, right,
1: right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Became the kinetic energy. So mm. the first sixty to ninety seconds, or thirty to sixty seconds. Oh, I just hit my elbow. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I need a second. I hit it really I can it's see, so sharp. I can see so sharp.
1: I can see tears in your eyes even from here. <laughs>
0: yeah. so okay. so molasses generally very slow moving. Uh, so when it burst through those walls that first 60 to 90 seconds was when it was at its most powerful yeah. before its own viscosity caught up with it. I see. So when that wave hit, quote, people's bones were crushed, their bodies oh. thrown onto buildings and train cars. Many survivors had broken backs and fractured skulls. So when we talk about 150 injured in this, we're not talking about people getting up and walking away a little sticky. These are life altering injuries that people sustained here. And then you get the second phase in which the inertia runs out and the molasses slows presenting an entirely different problem. It's now thick and sticky So people who are trapped in it not only had difficulty moving, if they swallowed it, they'd then be sort of choking on molasses. Oh, God, nothing
1: Uh, sounds more fucking horrifically, an horrific way to die than drowning in molasses.
0: Yes, and drowning in molasses is drowning in water cranked to 11. It's pressing down on your chest and your lungs. Mm. It's pushing you up against things like buildings. And if you swallow it, you can't just spit it out. It suffocates you. So that it was January only made it worse as the cold air made the molasses even thicker and harder to move. Mm. The majority of the people that died in the molasses flood died from asphyxiation. Mm. An absolutely horrendous way to go. So now, circling back to the fact that this is the north end of Boston at a time of great suspicion of Italian immigrants, the defense attorney for USIA, Charles Chote, tried to blame Italian anarchists for what had happened. It must have been sabotage from those Italians. Uh, since there was that deep paranoia about yeah, anarchist yeah, yeah, activity yeah, yeah. in the area among white Bostonians, at this point Italians were not considered white, uh, Chote figured he could use it to shift the suspicions away from the company's obvious negligence. Mm-hmm. And this was also an era in which the bosses generally got away with this shit. The Supreme Court was pushing for lax regulation of industry that made it so that companies avoided liability in court when terrible stuff that was clearly their fault Mm. happened. The molasses flood proved to be something of a turning point, though. Colonel Hugh Ogden was appointed as the auditor of the case in the Massachusetts Superior Court, and Mm -hmm. Ogden was big into justice. Didn't like anarchists or anything they stood for, things like that, but he saw what happened and he knew... This wasn't about this. Yeah. Uh, and he found the company fully responsible in order to pay out of $7 million, which is equivalent in today's money to about $111 million. Okay, okay. This was not normal at that point. This did not happen with these things. Uh, And so this ended up setting a precedent that negligence on the part of companies was not to be glossed over, and that workers and others affected by things like this had the legal right to compensation for the tragic consequences.
1: Big turning point.
0: Big, big huge turning point in America. So while it's an enormous tragedy, the outcome of it cannot be overstated Mm. for what it did for our labor in this country
1: uh, and I'm I, you know I don't know a lot about American history but this feels like it should be maybe more well known is, is this a big yeah do you learn about this in school
0: no absolutely not it's wild it's an interesting story first and foremost it's mm, terrible and, and keep in mind I grew up in Massachusetts so mm. you would think at least I would have heard of it growing up uh, but then also to have such a distinct impact on labor probably more so than something like the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory that we learn a lot about and hear a ton about, which was terrible, a much bigger loss of life and Mm. uh, lots of, that we absolutely should learn about that. But in terms of like a distinct turning point in, Mm. you know, movements towards holding corporations and companies accountable for stuff, this made huge waves and for some reason we don't hear about it.
1: Uh, But as is so often the case... When change happens, it's often as a result of tragedy. It often comes hot on the Mm -hmm. heels of something fucking appalling happening to, to, to act as the harbinger of that change.
0: Yeah, and this is definitely just such a case.
1: What do you think the first person who saw the molasses tsunami coming their way shouted? What do you fucking shout?
0: the at least amongst the first people was actually a police officer right uh, and his name I feel like his name is actually the name of one of the characters from the departed but I can't think of what it is right now um but he had literally like just finished ringing into um, the station about something else when he was hit in the back My by gosh. the wave he was about a hundred feet from the the molasses and he he somehow managed to sort of call out, that they needed to get M'la! as much backup. <laughs> he managed to tell the, I think, whatever kind of phone or whatever he was using, he managed to get forth to them, bring as many backup as possible. Whoa. Something terrible is happening. <laughs> so Amazing that yeah. you
1: know this. You're the best fucking <laughs> researcher around. <laughs>
0: Uh, I read a lot of articles when these like, things. everyone go and look at the blog and, and see all mm. the links every week, you know, <laughs> that go into these opens. But uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. The things that people talked about in it happening was like, you almost expect the sound of like an explosion or something like that. But it yeah. was really just sort of this yeah. rumble. Yeah. And then there it was. And if, and there was no getting away from it. Like if you saw it happen, if you heard it happen... It was on you faster yeah, than you could yeah, possibly yeah, yeah. get out and that way.
1: I would even, I would even imagine that even after the, the 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 calamity itself, you'd then have scavengers, you'd have rats, you'd have birds, you'd have yeah. corpses oh. stuck in molasses <laughs> totally. for fucking months.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was hard for them to get like the bodies out and stuff because of the fact that like the rescuers would sink in it, so they had to do things like oh. you know, like like when we talked about the quicksand thing in, yeah, in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. Where they put ladders across it so that they could, you know, sort of set it on and not sink into the molasses as they were trying to get people. And because, again, it was so cold and the molasses kind of hardened, it was like a whole other Mm. obstacle to pulling rubble apart to get bodies and stuff like that out of it. Incredible. Yeah. Wild stuff.
1: Incredible. And something else to fucking put in my list of stuff I now know. Thanks, and only (laughs) thanks, to Jack of all Graves.
0: Hmm, indeed.
1: Let me quote directly from my notes, if I may.
0: Yes, please do.
1: Fucking look at these nerds. Oh, mise en scene. I
0: don't think anyone has ever said mise en scene in such a horny way before. The way I whispered the word sex cannibal recently. Worst comes to worst, Mark. I'm willing to guillotine you for science.
1: Thank you. That's really, really sweet. It's cold outside, but my pancreas is talking to me. I'm (laughs) fucking, I'm going to let
0: it. You know how I feel about that, Mark.
1: I think you feel great about it. This attitude of casual cruelty towards Italians, it's by no means over, is it? It's by no means ended. Examples are, examples are coming at us all the time. Even now.
0: Really? Yes. Like what?
1: Uh, Chris Pratt voicing Mario in the new fucking... (laughs) What is that, if not an act of casual cruelty (laughs) towards the Italian community?
0: You're right. That is clearly an act of aggression against the Italian community. And I can't believe that I am so privileged to have not even recognized it.
1: Ah, Anyway, listen, welcome to Jack of all Graves. Uh, (laughs) Your hearts are pure and they belong to us.
0: (laughs) Chris Pratt! The the creepiest shit. Your hearts are pure (sighs) and they belong to us. It's so embarrassing because on my first podcast, Electric Fan Cave, we had a Chris Pratt corner (laughs) with a cool little cute graphic and all that kind of stuff. And we talk about like, what's Chris Pratt up to? And like now it's slowly descending into cult behavior is what Chris Pratt is up to. It's
1: very compelling watching him, though. It's very compelling watching him (sighs) uh, systematically get weirder and weirder and just piss away. All of the significant goodwill that he's amassed.
0: Years and years of goodwill. Lots. And what's wild, and if you didn't see this, Chris Pratt posted this Instagram about his wife, Catherine Schwarzenegger. And fuck, that's another thing it, I've, I've
1: only just remembered. Yeah.
0: She's a Schwarzenegger <laughs> slash Kennedy. Like that's incredible! What in the world? And and it's really creepy. You know, go read it or whatever. But it's a very evangelical Christian sort of message where it's like, you know, look at how she looks at me, and like, oh, it's it's super weird. It makes you sick in your sounding. mouth. And then did you see like he his he made like a story the next day about like oh I went to bed like really sad and depressed. After the response to my post and yada yada. And then he was like, but then I went, I went for a run and listened to my Christian music playlist and like, God is sovereign and all that. And it was like, whoa, he's just going in. (laughs) We all thought your weird evangelical shit was Mm. weird. So double down. Let's, that's probably the solution. Double down on it. Yeah. It's. Wild. Fascinating.
1: I mean, I've th- gone from being ambivalent towards Chris Pratt. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like Guardians of the Galaxy as much as the next guy. Uh, mm-hmm. But I also deeply hate homophobia, hunting, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the the kind of the evangelical mindset. So he's yep. doing an excellent job of uh, making me an anti-Pratt.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the thing about it is, so he keeps getting these roles, but they're... Mm. It's very much like a soft version of like what Louis CK and people like that who like have been me too'd and all that stuff have done Mm. where it's like, they, they pivot, right? Like, okay, now my audience is not going to be the liberals and all that kind of stuff. Like I've kind of alienated myself from this Mm. part of the audience. So I will now make a shit ton of money going towards people who are like right wing and things like that. And with Chris Pratt, I feel like he hasn't come out and been like one of those like, oh, cancel culture people and all that. But you can see he's getting roles in like kids movies or yes. things like yep. The Tomorrow yep. War that are low key geared at like families mm-hmm. or people who are, you know, a little more on the conservative or middle America. Yeah. Like wing of things.
1: The, the These last two roles he's got, these last two voice acting roles are so... Just inscrutable decisions yeah, for a casting it makes- director.
0: Garfield and Mario. Yeah.
1: Uh two <laughs> like- I mean, two completely, you know, different characters, of course, but nothing mm-hmm. within those two characters suggests in the least that Chris Pratt would be right for either of them. In the really? least. Um Like Is
0: Garfield gonna instead of being like the sort of like crotchety monotone, he's gonna be like real upbeat, like yeah. dopey, like yeah. um like what does Emmett from Lego the Lego movie, movie. exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that
1: that character is, is is what Chris Pratt should be doing and yeah. we've spoken off off cast about what Garfield sounds like and he's right. he either sounds like Bill Murray or Lorenzo music those are the only two things Garfield should sound like although
0: uh, someone pitched uh the guy who plays Laszlo on what we do in the shadows earlier uh from IT Crowd and...
1: I know exactly that. the guy and I know his name, but it isn't...
0: He has a very normal right name, so it's hard to remember. Mm. Matt something? Anyway, he... I'm oh, like, Matt Berry, honestly, him. Yes, Matt Berry. That's the one. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? That would be amazing. <laughs> Have you seen
1: Toast of London? No. Right. You'd love it. You would fucking love okay. it. It is peak Matt Berry. Um, it, I love him. It, yeah, it's... I've, I've gone on a bit of a journey with Matt Berry, used to hate him, quite liked mm. him, but Toast of London will sell you on Matt Berry. He's fucking brilliant in it. Um, okay. Yeah, it's very funny. Written by Arthur Matthews, I want to say. The guy, the sole writer of Father Ted and Black Books.
0: <laughs> yes, of course. Soul writer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, well, I'll have to check that out. Anyways, that was a tangent. I don't even remember. Oh, right. Italian-Americans. Like, how did we get here? What's going on? This is not my beautiful house. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, Mark. Yes. You've got business to take care of. Uh, do I? You, yeah. Yes, I do. I do. I do, I do. a poll up.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Listen, think. exactly. Right after this. Thank you very much indeed for everybody who's piped in uh, and, and contributed. Yeah, lots
0: of energy on that, actually.
1: Do you know what it tells me? Well, we're, we're, mm. we're planning the next watch along, which is this coming weekend. Uh, what it tells me is there's lots of people out there who still have a big old soft spot for Stephen King. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Uh, I feel like if anything, Midnight Mass shows us that.
1: Yes. are oh, completely the
0: vibe of that being so deeply Kingy and yep. everyone loving it so much. Yeah. Says we are all. We all still love him.
1: See also Stranger Things.
0: Yeah. You oh, I mean? absolutely. Yeah. Um,
1: even if it doesn't have his name. In the credits, you you know, King-esque is just such a distinctive vibe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that obviously still resonates with a lot of our listeners. Hey, we know, Corrie and I, we know that our listeners are some of the best fucking people in the world. Uh, oh, that's true. And if you're listening to this cast right now, I'm talking directly to you. Just by fucking <laughs> hitting play on our podcast, you've made a really, really great decision. Uh, and yeah. the fact that so many of you are King fans... I love, I love to see it. I absolutely love to see it. So I've been looking, sifting through your suggestions. So immediately after Corey and I finish recording this week's episode, I'm going to put those four. Uh, I've crunched the numbers, right? I've done, <laughs> I've done the fucking due diligence, uh, and I'm going to put the four most popular choices up in a poll on Twitter, on our Facebook. And uh, yes, do please make your feelings known. And I'm hoping we'll see plenty of you on our next watch on, which is this. Coming Saturday, which I want to say is the 14th or the 13th. 13th? I believe. Saturday, the 13th of November. Uh, it's our first one in a while. First one since July, yeah, August. It's been a I minute. Want to say. it's been a while.
0: Yeah, maybe August. Uh,
1: yeah, so I'll be throwing my virtual arms around you all on Discord. Not in a oh, creepy I can't way. Wait. Um, hmm. I actually, don't fuck it. Yeah, in a really creepy way. <laughs> Honestly, it's going to be awkward as fuck. Well. Um, yeah. But yeah, can't wait. <laughs>
0: Perfect. I'm very excited about it. Really stoked on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just on that that note, again, I will be getting to the book club stuff and everything. But, yeah, you know, holiday seasons, I know you're all busy. Mm. Life goes on. People who actually leave their homes have things to do. But we yeah. will figure out a good time for all of us to do that. Um, and also, hey, just a reminder every now and then, because we never remember to promote these kinds of things hey rate and review us on apple podcasts and buy our merch buy our merch it's
1: beautiful it's 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 kind of really soft and beautiful quality and you wear it mm-hmm. and you just feel great you know what i mean yeah. and you instantly become more attractive to either the opposite or same sex whichever you're into it's true uh, they flock to you maybe. this has it's, been tested by science yeah it really has
0: um did, did we get a one-star rating? Oh, yeah. Did I make that up? Uh, no, you didn't make that up. That did happen. I cool. went and I looked at, you know, every two months or something like that, I'll go and I'll look and see if there are any new reviews or anything like that. And I was like, 4.8? How do we have a 4.8 right now? <laughs> and so then I looked and there were no new reviews, but there was a little one-star rating Phenomenal. sitting at the bottom of that. Phenomenal. I'm like. Okay, who was angry enough that they left a one-star rating but not angry enough to leave a review?
1: If any of our listeners work in cybercrime and can get us... (laughs) A little info. I just want to talk to them. I'm not going to do anything. (laughs) I just want to chat.
0: I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Just come over here, mate. I
1: just want to talk to you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I think it's hilarious. If I've learned anything from reading Dead and Lovely's reviews, which are always entertaining, mm. if someone's that mad at you, it's probably political. Like, probably oh, okay. like, these yeah, people yeah, are yeah, a yeah, bunch yeah. of commies. I hate them. Yeah. But, which I don't we know. Are. Maybe they were just like, I mean, <laughs> fair, valid. Uh, but but uh, I don't know. Maybe they just were like, they hate the sound of our voices or something like that.
1: Uh, which I can, but. I relate
0: uh, yeah, also very valid. Idea. But it made me laugh when I looked at it that I was like, oh, shit, someone gave us a one star. And then I was like, oh, I'm <laughs> going to didn't even bother to tell me why insult to injury. I think it was
1: the episode where uh, you termed me. I think it was an enviro fascist. <laughs> I think it's that one. Eco fascist. Eco fascist. That's what I one. called you. Hey, listen, no yes. dang eco fascist. One star. <laughs>
0: Or how dare she call him an eco-fascist. He's just
1: telling the truth. Yeah, exactly.
0: One star. Doesn't
1: seem emotionally stunted to me. I'm going to give this one star.
0: (laughs) What if it really is someone who just doesn't like the way that I've characterized you? Somebody. It's like, she really seems to give him a hard time. Object
1: to this bullying. Of me.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry, okay? That's fine. Jeez. It's fine. Uh, So yeah, rate and review. Uh, buy our merch, all that stuff. Mm. Brianne uh, sent us a picture of her wearing our t-shirt at a Dia de los Muertos uh, mighty fine. festivity, mighty which fine. was delightful. Oh, I love that. Mm. love that. So thank you for that, Bri. It was delightful to see. Shall we get into what we've watched this fine week?
1: Yeah, pretty light for me. Uh, kind of really... heavy for me. Well, good. Dive in. Talk to me.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, well, first and foremost, yesterday I saw Eternals. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which I was completely meh about. I went to see simply because, of course, I'm going to go see a Marvel movie. Like, yeah. What am I going to not watch it? Yes. Um, we've but uh, the... we've had
1: this discussion, and I'm in. I'm very much in the same frame of mind, yeah. right? I know I'm right. going to see it because Marvel have got us by the nuts. Yep. When oh, You know, you have to see it because it's going to become relevant in two or three, four or films time or whatever. Right. You're not going to miss it. But at the same time, <laughs> I am not remotely enthused about Eternals. I could not give a stuff.
0: Right. Yeah. It. Nothing about the trailers or anything like that grabbed me. Nope. And then I went and watched it and perhaps low expectations were part of it. But I loved it. Absolutely I, I, I loved Everyone
1: it. is saying this. Everyone is saying the same
0: thing. <laughs> it was like, I mean, my literally... I think my only complaint is it's too long. Mm. Um, And, you know, everything's too long now, whatever. They fit a lot of story into this movie. Mm. Um, But I, it has, so I kind of phrased it as being like the midway point between DCEU and MCU. Yeah. Where it's like got the self seriousness of DC uh-huh. without like just being bleak and like unenjoyable and like, you know, when there are moments of humor, they feel natural sure. <laughs> instead of just like, and this movie should have a humor. Yeah. Here's a punchline. You yeah, know, like yeah, yeah. to me, especially straight out in the beginning of this, it felt very much like the seriousness, the self seriousness of something like Willow or Neverending Story, where it had that kind of mm weight to it, it takes you know? itself seriously yeah <laughs> and it like it, it just very much kind of conjured those kinds of 80s fantasies mm. that I grew up on that I really liked um and then I really I liked the characters in it I would love like Athena and Gilgamesh spin-off series because I was obsessed with them like just give me just give me an arc on like a Disney plus show with them in it and I will be the happiest person in the
1: world isn't Gilgamesh also the nemesis of the Smurfs.
0: That's Gargamel. Uh, all
1: right, fine. <laughs> Move on.
0: <laughs> same, Sam. Uh, but yeah, it, honestly, it just, it really hit for me. I was really invested in the story. And one of the things that I thought was interesting about this is like, obviously, this is a very diverse cast and you can imagine like of course I think also the comic characters are probably pretty diverse as well but I don't know I don't not familiar with the source material but you know that if they had made this movie a decade ago they would have found a way for all these people to be all white Mm. all straight all able-bodied all of that kind of stuff and genuinely not simply like a representation matters kind of situation it would have been lesser for that. Because the diversity of this movie makes it extremely rich. Good. Um, and so it really felt necessary. It really felt uh, just like these characters were very um, were very rich characters. And mm. I, I loved that about it. So I personally recommend Eternals. You know, uh, it's not going to be the Marvel fare that you are used to. Um But in its own right. Responses
1: like that and countless others that I've seen on Twitter, you know, from people who've been through a very similar journey with Eternals. "Eh, I couldn't really (laughs) have cared, but do you know what? It was great. That's maybe a a lot more enthused about seeing it. And I'll definitely plonk my ass down and... and...
0: Yeah, it's like you were going to see it anyway. So, you know, at least you don't have to sit there looking at it as like a total chore. I think it's very easy to invest... In this story, even as there's just so much going on, and that's part of what works too, you mm. know, is that there is so much. That's a you know, there's <laughs> it's a lot. Um, but I've honestly, with this phase of Marvel, been pleasantly surprised with everything that's come out with Black Widow, with Shang Shang Chi, mm. and with this. All of them, I think, I went in with lower expectations and came out impressed by.
1: You've also got all the TV stuff as well. The only, the only mm-hmm. misfire it was um, Falcon and. Yeah, Winter Falcon. Soul Deal, yeah, which even that was entertaining enough. You know what I mean? It was watchable. It just wasn't. I mean, I
0: don't even think I finished it. But... Did you not? <laughs> no, I did finish it. I did finish it. See, I don't even remember. But then I enough recalled said. the speechifying in the last one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in general, aside from that one misfire. I've been in Good. on everything in this phase.
1: so Excellent. I'm along for that ride. Uh, have I seen anything? Let me see. Right, so I finally got my arse in gear and uh, watched Nobody, the um, yes. uh, Bob Odenkirk action thriller from earlier this year. And mm-hmm. what the fuck was I doing waiting so long to see this film? It was I phenomenal. Know, and I still haven't
0: watched it, and I'm so mad at myself.
1: Uh, all I... Uh, one of those times where knowing as little as possible pays off, pays dividends. It is such mm. a smart, such a fun, uh, such a beautifully paced film, right? Um, everyone is comparing it to John Wick, but there's there's more to it than that. It's falling mm. down. It's uh, true lies.
0: Mm. It's also okay, yeah. you
1: know as as well as the John Wick uh, reference, uh, uh, kind of um um vibe to it. Beautifully, beautifully, beautifully set a movie that swerves you within the first 15 minutes. Within 15 minutes of that film, you realize you're not watching the film you thought you were. Uh, mm. And it ramps up levels of, you know, uh, the action becomes more and more improbable and mm. more and more ridiculous until the very end. It just leans right into leaping off the screen cartoon lunacy, violence and fucking kinetics, explosions, cool violence. Uh, but it starts off. Really intimate and really kind of, uh, with a small scale, like a f- family fucking movie. But it gets, by by turns, more and more large and extreme and fun. Until the very end, you're watching a totally different movie than you thought you were at the beginning. Bob Odenkirk awesome. is one of the most likable fucking guys on screen.
0: Absolutely, without, without a doubt.
1: Just impossible not to warm to the guy. Mm-hmm. Just so likable, you know... It's like it, it, he's he's one of us, isn't he? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it, he manages to sort of portray that in a way that I feel like very few actors manage to do mm. that. Where you feel something about him yeah. that's like a kinship to to your everyman in a way that isn't forced. Yeah, you know, <laughs> where it's not like oh, I'm an everyman because I do this, this, and this. He just has a vibe yeah. about him that yeah, exactly that, that feels like we understand him and he understands us.
1: Um. But it, it, it seems to be happening less and less in films. And I, I know I've talked about it before on the cast, but it, it's there's that moment about a third of the way in when you know it's a classic, when you know you're watching a classic mm. even before it's finished. Um, I love Nobody. It was great. I, I enjoyed it way more than John Wick, for example. Uh, mm, just okay. because there felt more there to hang your hat on. There was more there to relate sure. to. Um, great movie. Loved it. Unres- unreservedly recommend it.
0: Yeah, it's, I've got to try to watch that this week because it is one that literally every single person I know who has watched it mm. has rated it super high on Letterboxd and raved about it, mm. and uh, I just need to finally sit down and watch it. So now that now that you have, I have FOMO about it. <laughs> you can't be having UC movies I haven't seen. That's ridiculous. Yes. Uh, so I will make sure to, to make Do uh, a, a date with myself to watch it. Uh, um, also,
1: I'm not sure how I managed this, but I also I, I wound up watching Psycho the other night.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that was kind of a,
1: a random pick. It was, it was, it was on while I was doing something else. Yeah. But I really quickly abandoned the something else I was doing simply because mm-hmm. Psycho had gripped me so much. Nice. Uh, and and nice doesn't come close. I mean, it's 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 such a piece of work. <laughs>
0: you know. <laughs> yeah it is such a piece of
1: work. I mean, it benefits from you know the 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 oldy worldly kind of performances and the very broad characterizations, yeah, uh, and the melodrama of it all. It is so it's a brooding, fucking, hugely. Uh, you know the 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 emotions and the horror of that piece are absolutely wide as fuck. There's no, there's very little in the way of subtlety in psycho. It is such a broad. <laughs> oh, yeah, movie. absolutely not. Um, but everyone is 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 giving of their all in that film, and it pains me a little bit that the the more that time moves forward, the less relatable movies like that are going to seem to audiences watching them for the first time now.
0: Hmm interesting
1: i mean when I, I i i tend to come at movies these days trying to see them through the eyes of my kids right right yeah and when pete gets to be like 15 16 i know i'm gonna try and get him to watch psychos yeah um
0: and you don't think he's gonna i
1: really don't i don't think th- th- nothing there to relate to
0: Mm-hmm. you know yeah i mean i think you're probably onto something there and it's The funny thing about it is what I was going to say before you said that was that it's one of those movies like Jaws and other things like that that every time I've showed it to someone for the first time, they've Mm. loved it. Like, yes, I went to like an outdoor screening of it, um, probably shortly before pandemic times. Mm. Uh, I think it was like November, October, November of twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah, and I went with a a couple, a colleague from work, and and his partner, and um, like one or both of them had never seen it before and they came out of it and were like holy cow that was like really great and compelling and it's like kind of a different movie than you expect if all yeah, you've ever yeah, seen yeah, totally. is like the shower scene like it's mm. much more of a like um a mystery oh, than it is like a it's not a slasher you know no certainly not it's um, it's,
1: it's, a, it's a detective story it's a noir right. it's a crime thriller you know
0: yeah uh but those were guys in their late 20s or early 30s who i was with seeing it and that's completely different than someone who yeah none of this is anywhere in their worldview
1: Mm. it's also it made me very hungry to watch psycho two again which as i think i've said before is one of the underrated unseen gem sequels out there psycho two is every bit the film psycho is if not more it's Oh, yes. it's it's staggeringly good, uh, and one which I am going to revisit very soon.
0: Yeah, I think here Psycho Two is on Amazon Prime, I believe. Okay. So if you're, you know, here in America and you've heard us both rave about that before, mm. you have access to it, and you should definitely mm. watch it. Yeah, don't be, sleep on Psycho Two. Uh,
1: be good to yourself. Watch Psycho Two if you've not seen it; it's brilliant.
0: Yeah. Um. This week I also well as a, another sort of throwback sequel not sequel but remake uh I watched the 1990 Night of the Living Dead yes finally because it was uh Dead and Lovely's movie this past week Mm -hmm. uh and so I was like well I gotta make an effort because I knew how much you loved it Mm. when you we watched it and you know they were talking about it and you were right it is phenomenal it's such what Night of the Living Dead this remake does Tom Savini made this uh, remake of Night of the Living Dead, is in the beginning, you can almost think that this is going to be like a like a dead-on straight, yep. we're just doing the same movie again. Yeah. And then it yep. tweaks it in just the right ways so that, yes, you're watching the spirit of the f- original mm-hmm. with these updates that expand the story, that make it scarier, that yep. make your characters more interesting. Beautiful points, um, yeah. And I absolutely love that. Like who, Barbara is like just like a giant badass. In this. She goes from being like the traumatized woman that you get from the original one. Who's like kind of a little useless yeah. <laughs> to yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. pulling herself together. But she, and, you know... she's
1: very much the audience. I mean, there's that bit where yeah. she, she's studying the, 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 the dead, really looking at them, really trying to get her head around yeah. what's happening. They're so slow. because they are you know anyone could just fucking walk past them which any you know anyone who's watched their fair share of zombie films has at some point said to themselves i could just walk out surely i could just fucking stroll past them barbara gets it um right it's progressive as fuck like Mm -hmm. living dead 1990 is progressive as fuck tom savini knew exactly what he was doing which you would expect him to do you know
0: right and plus you also get tom savini effects yes which of course is going to take it to an entirely different level Mm. than the original you know like you are getting the stuff that you know him for in terms of makeup and gore and all of that with it yeah uh and so yeah it's just oh it's a it's a great watch and we all know that i am not a zombies person uh nor am i really these days nor am i anymore Right, and it really, it just hits just right Mm. in it. And it's fun to get to, like, you get so used to Tony Todd being, like, typecast as, like, the spooky guy. Yes. Um, It's kind of fun to see him as, like, your protagonist and as, uh, you know, he's, like, dreamy back in those days. he's great.
1: He's great. He's got agency. He's fucking... Yeah. You know, he he's right all along. Everything he suggested mm-hmm. doing in that movie was what they should have done. Do you know, yes. interestingly, last night after getting home uh, after a few beers, just while I was, uh, you know, on, on the internet doing whatever, um, I had Land of the Dead on in the background. Mm-hmm. And I watched like an hour of that kind of with one eye. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's half the film, Night mm. of the Dead, 1990 years. It really is. It It's... I mean, Dennis Hopper is brilliant in it. Dennis Hopper is great in it. Does again as you'd expect, but there's really <laughs> yeah, not a naturally. great deal else going on in that movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what passes for latter era Romero satire is heavy. You know what I mean? It is right. graceless uh, and and clumsy satire. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I I don't think I don't think anybody realised at the time just how right Tom Savini got that that remake.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so you need to need to watch that if you haven't as well. Highly recommend that one. Uh, less so recommend Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. Yeah. Um, which like I'm not anti paranormal movies. I'm not anti uh found footage, whatever mm-hmm. things like that. Generally, like I can kind of get into them. Um, and this one does have its moments. It does actually have a few like genuinely kind of creepy, scary moments that and that aren't jump scares, which. I appreciate oh, okay. there's some stuff in there that's genuinely just like stomach in knots because you're like, Wha-ha! oh, God. <laughs> so I will give it that. Um It doesn't feel like it was meant to be a paranormal activity movie. It feels like someone made a found footage movie and they were like, let's slap that on it. Yeah. To okay. sell it. OK. So it has nothing to do with the storyline of paranormal activity. That's so if you go probably into it...
1: why, I, uh, why I would be reluctant to watch it because, I mean, you you... Tell me that franchise title, Paranormal Activity, and immediately I expect I'm gonna get ninety minutes of ah, ah, boo, ah, yeah. ah, hey. jump scare city. Yeah. Shit jump scares at that. Like I've said before, good jump scare. If you earn it and do it well, it's you know, great. But you know what I'm saying.
0: And I don't mind like the like I said, I'm not anti paranormal activity. Some of them really do hit pretty well for me. Like paranormal activity four, um, I don't find especially jump scare heavy. I okay. feel like there's just like a sense of foreboding throughout that entire movie mm. that like really works for me. Um, yeah, this one, it has moments that work, but meh, and it's not in the continuity of Paranormal Activity. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that I watched was The Harder They Fall, which is that Western um, with the all black cast that came out on Netflix. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen uh, an ad for it, I believe.
0: Yeah, and it's a phenomenal cast, well acted. I mean, can't go wrong with that. But watching it, I was like, yeah, I don't really like westerns, yeah. especially like the kind of modernized like western. You know, the kinds of stuff that, um, I don't know. It's just not really my thing. Sometimes I can go for something that's a little more old school or even something melodramatic. But this is like very.
1: Well, tell me a western that you do enjoy, then give me let me know where we're at here. What what's
0: your what's your benchmark? Yeah. Well, I love Bonanza. Uh huh. Like the show, yeah. So that uh, I can get into. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, there was something that I literally was just thinking of that. Like I like Tombstone. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think yeah, Tombstone's a lot of fun. I I enjoy that. Um, so like, I can get into that. Okay. This is like very. I I like don't want to say Tarantino esque because that feels like. I don't know, giving Tarantino credit for the genre (laughs) or whatever, but it does have that sort of feel to it, you Mm -hmm. know, um, just making something very modern using modern music and like all that kind of stylized stuff just doesn't really work for me.
1: No, same. Um,
0: but if you like that stuff, very good movie, I think, (laughs) you know, like I said, very good performances. Everyone in it is great. It just was, I was watching it and I was like, I don't, I don't care about this storyline. If
1: I'm going to watch a Western, it has to be, like you said, very much not that type of Western. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, I It has to go all in. It has to be period. Mm-hmm. It has to be mm-hmm. know, music of the time. It has to be completely, uh, you know, all or nothing with Westerns. It has to be unforgiven. It has to be fucking long. Yes. I have to make a decision yeah, that I'm going to mm-hmm. watch this shit and get snacks and just commit to it. And yeah. when I do, I mean, oh, High Plains Drifter, I fucking love it. Unforgiven, I night. Think absolutely that. love. Um, again, yeah. Tombstone, absolutely love. But it's yeah, it's it's when, again, fuck, it's Tarantino western style. That's right. that's what I'm, I'm not interested in at all.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's definitely more along those lines. Okay. So, yeah, if <laughs> if you like an old school western or things like that, it's not gonna be your cup of tea. If you like those more stylized ones, hmm. can't complain about anything going on. In what this was line. the
1: one Seth MacFarlane made?
0: Oh, A Million Ways to Die in the West? Yeah, is is it, that what it's Is it like called? that? <laughs> it's not quite like okay. that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> a little different. Is it like uh, Wild Wild West with Will Smith?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that kind of West, I really like. The authentic type of West. Really they...
0: yeah. authentic. Yeah. Will Smith really gets it. Gets Wild Wild the West, core.
1: One of a very few movies that I've walked out of in the cinema. Wow. Yeah, That's impressive. Walk out. Walked the fuck out and uh, went to Burger King and enjoyed a Wild Wild West meal. The, the, <laughs> You're like, the, the same, promotional same. burger was better than the film. Mm. Uh, I, I do love
0: the song though, so there's that.
1: You Jim West Desperado. It's uh, <laughs> correct. The burger had onion rings like in the burger.
0: Of course it did.
1: Yeah, uh, and I enjoyed it more than the movie.
0: That's what any kind of like Western burger. Oh, yeah. has to have onion rings in it for some reason. Does onion it? rings and barbecue sauce. Yeah, now sure, it's a Western sure, sure. burger. Here we go. Okay. Jack in the Box has like their Western burger that's like that. You know. It's...
1: Oh, uh, we're getting a Popeye's. They're opening a Popeye's over here.
0: <sighs> Loves me a Popeye's. Not going to lie. Yep.
1: Uh, probably... You're so blessed. Going to be in London somewhere. So I'm going to check me out a Popeye's.
0: <laughs> I'll be excited to hear your thoughts on, on Popeye's once you, will, you experience you it. we will
1: get those thoughts.
0: <laughs> and that's all i've watched this week uh so to do a very awkward tonal shift
1: oh i have a terrific book on the go as well
0: oh yeah yeah, yeah. oh totally forgot um, talk about it
1: it's called the apparition phase and it is a very british um all, it's not quite young adult. It's a little bit older than that, I would say. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, a very British ghost story.
0: I love a ghost story. Um,
1: it is gothic and it is dark and it is brooding. It's about a uh, kid of uh, 17, 18 who's struggling with grief over a, a tragedy that's hit his family. And uh, with a with an interest in the macabre and the unusual... This kid is, oh is drawn into an experiment to raise the ghost of a, of a dead Victorian house owner. Uh, and I can't put it down. I've had it for a couple of days and then i am nearly finished it. It's superb. Ryan would love it. Uh, okay. Ryan from Gibson's Bookstore. And they're a fantastic podcast, The Laydown Podcast. So do please check that yes. out. Yes. If you're into books and things like that. Um, mm-hmm.
0: And often spooky ones.
1: Yes. Uh, it's, it's. In fact,
0: they just did a Halloween special. Oh, so... you're into that kind of thing check Mm -hmm. that out but what was your book called uh
1: the apparition phase and it's by will McLean, and it's terrific
0: yeah i'm definitely going to read it that sounds exactly um, like what i want to hear
1: i bought it simply based on one tweet by someone i follow oh wow uh, this is the best book i've read in years or something to that effect i immediately went out and bought it from uh cold books in vista and it was terrific Yes, went I, to the
0: local bookstore and everything.
1: I haven't bought a book from Amazon since you gave me grief for doing it before.
0: <laughs> uh, it's what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Love to guilt you out of your habits. Oh, you've
1: done it. <laughs> uh, Cole's books are great uh, in that you order the book from them, and they don't even post it to you. A guy brings it round on a bike.
0: <laughs> no way! No, I
1: shit you not. They wrap it up beautifully with a bookmark and and whatever else, and a oh, guy fucking. That's
0: amazing.
1: Free local delivery. The guy fucking brings it to you on a bike. Phenomenal.
0: That's incredible. I love everything about that. It's like Uh eco-friendly. Perfection. Perfection. Yes, sir. I love it. Good job, Cole's Books. All right, now awkward transition?
1: Oh, yeah. All right, now awkward transition. So it's been said on this cast before, and I'm going to say it again, that we don't we don't do current events, right? We don't do current affairs. We don't do news and uh because that isn't the cast we are, right? What we are yeah, is- Yeah, not
0: a true crime pod, not a
1: Certainly not, pod. certainly not. Um, and I hope it isn't pretentious to say that I think what we are is, I've said before that, that I enjoy the fact that we're part of the digital conversation, yes. We're part of mm-hmm. the online cultural documentation of what I think will- History will remember the weirdest fucking couple of years of a generation. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And that said, I think it would be remiss of us to not talk about the colossal. Fucking incredibly dark uh, and prolonged criminal case, which came to light in the UK this last week. And one which, Cory mm. when speaking to you about it, I gather hasn't made a ripple on your side of the pond, no?
0: Yeah, I've seen nothing about it. I mean, I don't, like, watch a ton of news, but I've seen nothing in, like, trending topics. I've seen... I've not seen anyone commenting on it on my feed, anything mm. like that anywhere. So, mm. yeah, it doesn't seem to have made an impact here, which is weird because this is a bonkers situation. A terrible, horrible immense situation.
1: Mm. Uh, Look, we've spoken about murder on the cast before, of course, many times we've spoken about, you know, serial killers of note. We've spoken about, there's a very, I I think there's a, there's a very particular type of crime, which catches the attention of Jack of all graves. It's, it's it's a crime which stands out. It's a crime, which for whatever reason, be it the level of depravity or the scale or the length of time with which it, it, it went unpunished or the, the, the repercussions it's had through history. Those are the kinds of crimes which tend to catch our attention, which tend to make, mm-hmm. uh, you know, make JOAG discussion. And this is certainly one of them. This week, and I'm not going to use the guy's name because to do that would be to, you know, to, to give him recognition. Mm. Um, so in 1987, a double murder took place in uh, in the UK, in, in uh, Sussex. Uh, and it was only... This year, it was only this year, through uh, familial DNA tracing, that the guy who did this was brought to justice, was apprehended and brought to justice. Uh, charged, found guilty this week. During, I, and look, I'm going to, before we go into this in depth, this this is distressing as shit, right? And yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sure no one is listening to Jack of all graves with kids in the room, but if you are, you might not want to because... Uh, during questioning for these two murders from nineteen eighty seven, uh, the guy admitted a long career. Uh, the guy's the guy's day to day job was uh, an electrician in a hospital in Tunbridge Wells in the UK, right? And he admitted a lot of uh, a lot of paraphilia, right? A lot of uh, sexual abuse of corpses during his role, okay? Uh, he worked at this hospital from 1989 all the way through, uh, you know, to, to 2010. And <laughs> somewhere between, somewhere around 100 corpses oh, he is said geez. to have sexually abused. Um, Good grief. But it's, it's the commitment to that act
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: the, the 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 i mean a-
0: presumably he got that job specifically for that purpose
1: but the absolute commitment to that raging in ages between nine and 100 right
0: oh jesus christ upon
1: searching his home uh it isn't just the paraphilia right the his uh, you know the images of of child sexual abuse and other kind of you very... mean
0: necrophilia
1: uh, yeah paraphilia disorder paraphilic disorder of necrophilia. right
0: yeah, yeah. i just mean specifically yes, what his yes, yes, deal yes, yes, is yes. you're saying it wasn't simply no. that he was into the dead there was more way more to this. way more
1: way more way more but every single or what seems to be every single act of necrophilia he'd documented himself with film he'd filmed himself in the mortuary committing these acts over many years um,
0: I don't even know like it so it's that like the double violation yes. of that right like that you're not only just violating a corpse but then filming it keeping it for posterity presumably seeing it again and again and again watching it over and over that then also people who are like you know uh investigating this are now going to watch that mm-hmm violation happened recorded it's and just so documented
1: many you know documented yeah. listed in journals names times and it 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 starts one thinking of paraphilia in and of itself right
0: mm-hmm.
1: the various forms that it takes the various uh you know outlets that people turn to so paraphilia it's uh it is categorized as and I'll, I'll i'll give you the you know one of the the kind of online definitions paraphilia it's and i'm quoting it's an intense and persistent sexual interest other than sexual interest in uh, standard kind of standard stimulations uh, with phenotypically normal physically mature consenting human partners okay right. So it's an intense and persistent sexual interest other than phenotypically normal, physically mature, consenting human partners. It's the experience of intense sexual attraction and arousal to atypical objects and situations. Right. Okay. Now, interestingly, um, for the very first time in, uh, what are we on, the DSM 4 or
0: 5?
1: We're on 5 Probably now. Five. Uh, this edition of DSM was the first to split out paraphilia and paraphilic disorder.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: Um, there are a number of paraphilic disorders, including, you know, necrophilia, like we've just spoken about, um, uh, zoophilia, which is animals, of mm. course, coprophilia, which is all about boop, um, which to me is 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 an acceptance or an admission by the medical community that paraphilia in itself isn't necessarily a disorder
0: mhm paraphilia
1: I... in itself by any other name is a kink surely
0: yeah i mean i would imagine so you know like yeah
1: the dis- the, the 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 distinction there in the current dsm is that distinguishing between those who have benign interests, benign right. sexual outlets, and those who have paraphilic disorder, which is when that interest, that behavior, is associated with distress or right. non-consensual interactions or, or, or physical impairment? You know, yeah. that's the kind. And I'm of-
0: guessing, like, how they, why it even is like paraphilia is in the DSM five, in and of itself, is distinguishing between like a kink. Would involve usually a consenting adult human yes, partner. Exactly, and this. that this is not necessarily the case with a paraphilia. It may not. Yes, uh, have to do with a human.
1: Exactly. Well, that 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 term in itself, paraphilia, only showed up in the DSM from edition three, uh, mm. and before that, it was uh, just a long list of of sexualities which we now consider to be, you know. Perfectly acceptable human behavior. Perfectly... Right, so it's like
0: deviant sexual deviance, Exactly deviants, this. Basically. Homosexuality,
1: sadomasochism, transvestism, fetishism. These are all listed separately hmm. in very mm-hmm. early uh, editions of DSM. DSM 3 listed these as paraphilias. And right. now finally we have a split between paraphilia and paraphilic disorder.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So what are some of these paraphilias?
1: well there there's so many i mean so goddamn many but
0: and one of the things that like <laughs> that made you uh, interested in this in the first place was a particular image right there's a,
1: there's a photo right that, that for me sits at the exact opposite end of the paraphilia scale than uh, to take this guy from you know from the uk this week i've heard that described on the news as a psychopathic paraphilia Right. A guy with a career-long commitment to probably some of the darkest criminality that I have ever yeah. witnessed come to light in the UK. The reason why I'm talking about it on JOAG is because I feel this crime will become historically significant. It's going to end yeah. up in, in, in textbooks and in the news for decades to come. Yeah. But on the other end of that scale, right, Surely. surely there's benign paraphilia right or you know there's a there's a picture right which i'm deeply enamored with i'm a i'm i'm a very online person as you know right i've been <laughs> i've been on the internet yeah. for fucking years i've seen some shit i've seen oh god damn mm-hmm. i've seen some shit <laughs> and as I start to describe this picture i'm i think it'll ring a bell i th- i'm sure other people have seen this picture before right it's i'm certain it's british i'm sure it's in the u k and it's a photo of a fella, right? It's a photo of a guy, uh, and he's he's wearing like a nice, like a lacy kind of bit of lingerie, and yeah. he's got this look on his face of almost he's happy with what he's doing. He's happy with who he is. He seems thoroughly happy in his own skin, and he's in a state of partial undress. And the main crux of the the picture is that he is. Right up to his nuts in the tailpipe of a car. Right? Yep. Yep. He is flat out giving it to his car. I don't even know if, yeah. it, if it is his car. It's a car.
0: A car, yeah.
1: And again, to look at that guy's face as he's t- in that moment, there's a look of serenity on his face almost. It's a look as right. of... I've prepared this scene. I've got dressed up. Uh, and I'm taking a photo of this. And I... I it's a guy who seems perfectly at ease with his paraphilia.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like something like weirdly wholesome it's, about this picture.
1: Yes. It's harming no one. Right. It's clearly giving him a sense of well-being, a, a sense of fulfillment. Um, and I don't know that, that, that photo is when I often go back to whenever I see, whenever I see that photo on the web, it always gives me a big smile. I just, I think go on that guy. Well done. That man is what I think.
0: Right. Yeah. I know, right? Like, and like the fact that this photo exists too. Mm. I mean, unless something terrible happened, someone stole his phone and put it on the internet or something like that. Like, mm. you know, it's something he's like, he's well pleased with. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something weirdly wholesome about the entire situation. And
1: what I now know from my research today is that our friend there is a mechanophiliac.
0: Mechanophiliac
1: He is a mechanophiliac uh, Which is a paraphilia Involving a sexual attraction To machines So bikes Mm. uh, Helicopters Ships Motor vehicles Our man there Was indulging In his mechanophilia
0: Have you any sense Of how common this is And what other things People are attracted to In the mechanical family
1: Mechanophilia I believe Is quite common You know But Mm. There are There are There are There are Wholesome paraphilias That I can't see
0: Any harm in At all Um, Sure have you, have you the- uh, this is like, uh, I just love this because this is one of those kinds of things like consensual cannibalism where Joag is going to come out and people are going to be like, you're saying what now? Yeah. Yes, we're saying there are yeah. wholesome paraphilias. Yeah. Consensual <laughs> cannibalism
1: or perhaps you mean uh, vorarophilia.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, yes. So we've got an vorarophilia.
1: Vorarophilia. Our boy Armin was a voraraphiliac, uh, which is where sexual arousal is derived from the thought of either eating another or being eaten by someone else. Vorarophilia.
0: Interesting. Okay. That is which less is... wholesome. Yeah, I was about to say that's maybe not so much a wholesome paraphilia. But what especially if I, if you actually do it?
1: What if I described to you the condition of sophophilia? S-O-P-H. Sophophilia. So would you care to okay. speculate?
0: Uh, gosh, I don't I don't know. <laughs> what is that?
1: self uh, is the feeling of sexual stimulation when you learn something new.
0: <gasps> yep. That's so wholesome. It is
1: being aroused by the act of learning.
0: Ah, oh, that's like the opposite of like the sapiosexual thing, which yeah. is like, oh, I'm attracted to smart people. Yeah. Like, okay. Uh, turns me like on, did, did,
1: man. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. But the
0: idea of you knowing something, like learning, learning something, something for the first time. new and getting,
1: becoming aroused and, and, and sexually oh, charged from the act of learning.
0: I love that. It's like, it's not a feeling I get, but it's a feeling I relate to.
1: Totally. 100%. You know? That to me. Sophophilia. It's perfectly, perfectly right- that paraphilia is split out from paraphilic disorder because paraphilia in itself it's only a problem if it leads to causing you or others discomfort or anguish you know
0: can you just imagine like <laughs> you see your partner like learning something new in public and just the yeah, look yeah, in their eyes they completely. look over at you and you're like okay I, <laughs> all yeah all right. <laughs> yes
1: indeed um, <laughs> they're
0: reading a book and you're just like what kind of book you reading well do i need to do i need to get in the mood or
1: Uh, uh, Melolagnia Let me describe the term melolagnia to you Melolagnia L-A-G-N-I-A Melolagnia Um, It's a paraphilic condition In which someone becomes sexually aroused By the act of listening to music
0: Oh, I bet that's kind of common You know? That feels like it would be
1: uh, Very similar to metrophilia Which is uh, uh, arousal Which is linked to rhyme and poetry
0: interesting
1: isn't
0: it yeah these are i'm fascinated by these and i wonder like especially something like the music one Mm. melalagnia yeah uh like how common these kinds of things are because that's an like this idea of paraphilias and stuff like that you know everybody has their like kinks or whatever of course but i bet that there are a lot of people Mm -hmm. who have stuff like this Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of like a you know they don't tell anybody about it cuz they're like oh it's going to be seen as weird Yep. but yep. nobody's going to want to go to a concert with me <laughs> or, you know <laughs> something like that but that i bet there are a lot of things mm. that are like vaguely irregular but that get people going
1: 100% uh, can you f- can you think of a movie where people uh, a movie which is about those who demonstrate abasiophilia which is a psychosexual attraction to people with impaired mobility Especially those using orthopedic appliances like leg braces, wheelchairs, crutches. Crash, mate. Cronenberg's crash.
0: Oh, remember, I haven't seen that Ah, uh, okay, okay,
1: okay, okay. <laughs> um,
0: but interesting that that is actually because you have described this to me before. Mm. Uh, and that's fat. Did you know that there was actually a like, paraphilia for this?
1: I didn't realize. I, well, it, it, it's only today that I, I learned the term for it, a basiophilia.
0: So that's for prosthetics or impairment.
1: Prosthetics, or... prosthetic limbs, orthopedic appliances, uh casts, leg braces, that kind of thing.
0: I bet that's probably pretty common too.
1: Yes, I'm sure it is. And I've, I've spoken about our boy Armin with his Varophilia. Um mm-hmm. But look, I mean you, you know, if it exists, then I think there's probably a paraphilia for it somewhere. For mycophilia, for example. Is that one you've heard? Or is that a word you've heard? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the condition, the paraphilia whereby pleasure is derived from insects, animals, snails, crawling over one's body.
0: Oh, I have whatever the opposite of that is. There you go. (laughs) No, thank you. Uh, but I guess the sensation could be pleasant to people who are not horrified by it. I don't know.
1: know. know. But it's, again, it becomes a disorder when that paraphilia is dangerous. Not even to, to others, others. But, 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 but yeah, to, to the individual, um, right. I, I'll end on the syndrome of, uh, apotemnophilia. Okay.
0: Apotemnophilia.
1: Apotemnophilia, which is, uh, it, 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 it's a kind of an intersection between paraphilia and a body dysmorphic kind of disorder, um, okay. where the individual, they, they, they see their own body with two arms and two legs as incomplete uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and only find completion and often arousal and sexual gratification from the uh, desire for amputation of healthy limbs
0: oh so it's the i thought you meant that they wanted One more extra limbs. limbs no 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 they see
1: themselves as complete <laughs> okay when, oh okay when healthy when they... appendages are yes. removed and fascinatingly right absolutely fascinatingly There was a surgeon, and this is from an article in in 2000, so a good 20 odd years ago. A surgeon in the UK uh, was um, uh, barred by his NHS trust from performing surgery on uh, patients with apotemnophilia. He cut off the lower legs of two perfectly healthy patients, one from the UK, another guy from Germany, during private surgery. uh, Mm -hmm. And he, for a while, became the doctor that you go to when your apotemnophilia threatens to, to kind of consume your life. He had six more patients afterwards waiting to be considered for amputation by him. Huh. Uh, and yeah, was.
0: See, that's interesting. Cause I think we've talked about it as like a dysmorphia type thing yeah, before, yeah, 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 yeah. but I had not known that that could also be, that there was a, a sexual yes. element to that as yep. well for people.
1: Indeed. Uh, sexual arousal at stumps, for want of a better term, stump uh-huh. stumpophilia, you know?
0: Yeah, I guess so. Uh-huh. That's very, very interesting, because, yeah, it's kind of the intersection of multiple yes. different types of things. A- and that also, you know, that very much straddles that line between simple paraphilia and paraphilic disorder, because mm-hmm. on the one hand, you know, you could say that is clearly, like, harmful to a person. Yeah. Um, Except at the same time, if they live their life in perfectly good health and happy and all of that kind of stuff, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's fine, you know, <laughs> like, there's, uh, yeah, there's certainly an ethical, mm. uh, gray area when it comes to anything like that that involves, yeah, sort of mutilation of one's own body, exactly. And
1: then on right on the other end of the, of the wholesome and easy delivered scale, things like plushophilia when you've just got it for fucking stuffed toys, you know
0: that's like every teenage boy has that well, right and
1: and and dogs <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: right but for me <laughs> dogs that's, that's notoriously have that a paraphilia which i guess i mean i'm i'm
1: if you're listening and you're a plushophiliac, please get in touch we'd love to speak to you yeah. on your jackal group well
0: and it's like i mean look at furries and stuff like exactly that, that you know yes, like yes, yes. that that's kind of along those same kinds of lines and mm. there is a degree to which that that's now kind of accepted like people certainly like think it's weird or whatever but there's also kind of a mainstreaming of it where maybe and maybe this is kind of where people are now is that like mm. you know uh, not to generalize I think also when you are very online you get more of the people who are just kind of like okay with shit than your general population is. Yes, yes. Um, but I do think that there is something to the fact that like there's an acceptability to this that you're just kind of like, yeah, you know, this is like some people, some people dress in animal costumes and fuck. Yep. yep. <laughs> and it's like, it's what they do. It doesn't doesn't harm anyone. DSM-3 probably would have been like, oh, hell 100% no. Yes.
1: Deviant. Deviant behavior. But yeah, <laughs> we that, need to send it's... these
0: people to therapy. You know,
1: By any other name, it's 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 a kink, you know, it's a kink. Yeah. Becoming paraphiliac disorder when, yeah, there's harm involved.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. If you have an interesting paraphilia please do tell us about it. We're <laughs> curious. I, I mean, this is clearly a, a no kink shaming podcast. Completely. I'm very curious as to what, or if like any of those resonated. Mm. Oh my God. I totally want to know. Cause I honestly, almost everything you just said, I'm like, I can imagine that there's actually a considerable number of people who yep. feel this, but have never said it to anyone, uh-huh. you know, cause so they're just like, that's too weird. Um, but they completely make sense. And I love the learning a new fact when as a giant nerd, that is like that's my new favorite thing. That's Good. the weird thing that I'm gonna bring up around water coolers and have everybody look at me funny <laughs> when I say. Have you guys heard of Sophophilia?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but as we've said so many times before, folks, human experience is a spectrum, isn't it? It's a It is. It's a rainbow.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know what? We ain't here to judge how anyone experiences humanity as long as you don't hurt anybody while you're doing it. Yep. Or yourself. Be, keep yourself safe. Exactly you know, that. Things like that. But, kind of wholesome. Mm. <laughs> well, Mark, thank you for enlightening me.
1: You're very welcome. I hope on you On those that.
0: things. I, I quite enjoyed that little Good. journey. Uh, and hopefully you did as well. Maybe you've learned something new and. You're a little turned on right now at home, and that's okay. (laughs) So, until next week, when we bring you something maybe slightly less arousing, I don't know. Bye, guys. You stay spooky, friends.